0: Timex came out with a recent study that said that the average American spends six months of their life waiting in some sort of line. The study also discovered that the average American spends 43 entire days of their life waiting on hold. Just think about that. That's a lot of time. How many of you love to wait? Wait. You just, it's just your favorite thing. I love to wait in line, wait in traffic, wait for the food to come in a restaurant. Anybody love that? Just love to wait, just killing time. Not many of us, right? I hate to wait. I especially hate to wait in traffic. My first thought when we hit traffic is who is the moron that doesn't know how to drive? I mean, I don't know why I think that. I should think there's probably an accident or some legitimate reason. Nope, I think that people are being silly. I hate to wait. I remember when I was in college, Jackie and I were dating and it was my first serious like, like adult, not I wasn't yet adult, but first serious relationship. And uh, I grew up in a home where with three, three boys, me, my brother, my other brother and my dad. So it, was got, it was a guy centered home and it was a very quick paced life. You grab your stuff, you go, you wake up, you brush your teeth, you throw a hat on, and you go out the door, just boom, 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 quick, quick, quick. I, I was the youngest, so I had to move quickly, like nobody really cared about the younger brother. So I learned to move quickly. And so when I started dating Jackie, it, I was introduced to a new speed. Because she had two sisters, and you know it was a, it was a woman-centered home, my fa- poor father-in-law. But anyway... Um, four girls one guy there in my home it was four guys one girl my poor mother wow and so I started a date and we and uh, when we would go out on a date like on a Thursday night or a Friday I would I would call her and because back this is before texting which is amazing to think about that and so I would call her and say hey I'll be over at six o'clock I show up promptly five minutes early and now what I would do is I would just throw a little pebble up to her window and it would go and it would let her know that I was there. And she would come out and show her face at the window. And, and a lot of times what she would say is, I need about five more minutes. Sometimes it was like, "Can I, I just need about 10 more minutes. And, and you know, I, I'm sitting there thinking, are you crazy? Like what, would, what in the world would, would cause you to, to need five more whole minutes? Like I'm here, like right now, we're on time. We said six, we gotta go, we gotta leave. And sometimes it would be longer than that. And, and, and this was a tough issue in our relationship. It was almost an issue that caused us to break up. Like, cause all this waiting, and I hate to wait. And now 20 years later, I've learned that, you know, for a woman getting ready to go somewhere is a complicated issue. Oh, yeah, I've got to see it firsthand many, many times. I mean, do the pants go with the shirt? How about the shoes? And what about the accessories and the earrings? And I'm like, I wasn't watching all that stuff. I was just downstairs going, what's taking so long? Throw a shirt on, throw some pants on, get your shoes on. Let's go. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. You got to factor The weather. The weather might change, you have to have a backup plans, you have to have purses that go with stuff, it's crazy. Now I'm very, very mature and I've learned how to wait, not really. <laughs> I hate to wait. I think most of us hate to wait, don't we? You're not going to like my talk today because today we're going to talk about Waiting. We've been a series, right? uh, We've been in a series called Power Up, and in this series, we've talked about finding strength in God and face to to face the difficulties and the struggles in our life. And we've talked about some phenomenal stuff. You know, the joy of the Lord is your strength, and those who are fully committed to God will find strength. And God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of need. Has this service been a uh, this series been a blessing to you guys? Good. I hope it has been. Amen. So today our principle that we're going to look into is, is a little bit awkward. It has to do with waiting. And here's the principle, the fourth principle, finding strength. God strengthens those who, say it with me, wait upon him. Now, I know that word wait is just not a popular thing and we don't like to do it. Let me let you off the hook here a little bit. When the Bible talks about waiting upon God, it does not mean the same thing as waiting in traffic or waiting for your boyfriend or girlfriend to get ready for a date or waiting in the doctor's office. Oh, I hate that. Anybody else? The dentist and you're waiting and when's he gonna call my name? The Bible does not mean that sort of waiting when it says to wait. And we're gonna talk about what the word actually means here in just a little bit, but everybody can take a deep sigh, deep breath. Everybody go... That's not what it means to wait on the Lord. So let me begin with a question today before we dive into this principle. And the question is pretty simple. Have you ever felt like God simply doesn't care about your situation? You know, you're you're in a particular spot that's tough and you've prayed about it. Maybe it's some sort of relationship problem. Maybe it's a, a problem at work, just you hate your job, or maybe you need a job, or, and you've prayed about it, you've, t- you've asked God to help, and he just hasn't come through for you. Nothing has changed. Maybe it's something physical in your body. You're battling uh, some sort of illness or sickness, and you've prayed about it, and you've asked God to change the situation. Nothing's changed. Maybe it's in a, a situation with temptation or some sort of addiction in your life, and you've asked God for help, and, but you still find yourself battling that same sin or that same addiction. It's like... Gosh, does he even understand where I'm at? Does he even care? Does he even know? How come he's not helping me? Have you ever been there? The children of Israel have found, found themselves in that spot many times. I want to look at one of these scenarios. And, and when we, as we look at this story in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, fantastic book, what we're going to find is that the children of Israel we're going through some of those same emotions. Let me, let me set the context for you. And then we're gonna look at this principle of how to find strength. It's in the story actually. The situation is such that the Israelites were warned by God time after time after time, not to commit adultery, to obey God's laws. And sometimes they would do it and then they would fall off the wagon and mess it up. Sound like your life? <laughs> and so they just would do that same thing. They'd go through some good times and then they would commit idolatry again. And finally, God says, you know what? Uh, I'm going to have to teach you a lesson. I'm going to have to step in here. And so he brings this this King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon in to kind of besiege Jerusalem, surround Jerusalem. And then he finally attacks it and destroys it and tears down the walls and tears down the temple and burns the city down. Not a fun time. He kidnaps all of the inhabitants of almost all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem and force force marches them all the way back to Babylon. This is a 500 mile march. Okay? That's like walking from Indiana to Washington, D.C. This is not a fun trip. And basically they get there and it's supposed to you know, be this, this horrible thing. And it is a horrible thing. And they set up temporary tents. And those temporary tents turn into permanent buildings. And they're there for 70 years. It's called the, the, the Babylon captivity or the exile. Seventy years go by. The Israelites lose their way of life. They lose their whole, all of their customs. They lost their city. They lost their temple. They've lost their music. Everything has just kind of been torn away from them. But they know that it's only going to be for seventy years, as if that, like, that's a short bit of time, (laughs) because the prophet Jeremiah said that that this is going to last for seventy years. And then when seventy years is up, you're going to be sent back to your homeland, and your everything's going to be restored. But during this time, the Israelites couldn't help but feel like, man, th- where's God in all this? Like, has he, does he not see what's going on? I mean, does not he not recognize our pain? Does he not see the injustice of all of this? Like, how come he doesn't care about us? So sure enough, 70 years come and go, and it's time to go back home. now the Israelites are facing this 500 mile journey back home and they have no protection and their city has been burned down. The walls have been broken down. The temple's been broken down. Now, if you know about the book of Nehemiah, we know that the walls were rebuilt and the temple was restored and everything works out. But right now we're not at the point of the story. We're at the point where they're getting ready to go home. And it looks like this impossible mission. Like, we have no protection. Like, even when we get there, we have no way of life. Everything's been destroyed. Everything's been burned down. And they're discouraged. And they're asking themselves, where is God in all of this? Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. He says, Jacob, which is is essentially addressing the entire nation by their patriarch, Jacob. Jacob, how can you say, because this is what they were saying, the Lord does not see our troubles? Do you feel it? Like, where is he? For 70 years, he's sort of abandoned us. He's, he's forgotten about us. He doesn't understand our pain. Isaiah says, how can you say that? He says Israel, which is Jacob's name was, was changed to Israel. How can you say God ignores your rights? Or and what they were saying was, where's the, just, where's the justice in all of this? How come God doesn't come to defend our name, defend our, our pride, to defend our, our dignity? Oh, the injustice of it all! Where is God? And, and Isaiah is simply saying, "How can you say that? It's your fault. You're the ones who committed idolatry. You're the ones who failed to obey God. You're the ones that caused the exile to happen in the first place." But that's what they were feeling, and it was legitimate. Like decades had gone by, right? Nothing had changed, and now they're getting ready to head back, and they have no assurance that they're going to make it at all. They have fear. They have worry. They're concerned. Are we going to make it? Now, it's into this situation, this state, this emotional state, that God's going to speak through the prophet Isaiah, and this is where we're going to find our principle. He starts off in verse 28. Listen to this. Have you not known? He says to them. Have you not heard? Listen, don't you remember what God is like? The Lord is an everlasting God, the Creator of the heavens and the earth. Have you, don't you remember reading the book of Genesis? Like in the beginning, God said, let there be light. Like, don't you remember when the, the, you, your ancestors walked through the Red Sea on dry ground and then the Egyptians tried to follow and the, water, the waters closed in and, and God rescued you? Don't, have you not heard? Don't you remember? Have you not known how powerful God is? This God, he never faints or grows weary. His energy is endless. His understanding is unsearchable. Why are you saying God doesn't care? Why are you saying he doesn't see your troubles? Why are you saying he's not defending your rights? And of course, we know the answer to that question is because they were feeling it. And sometimes our feelings, you know, override our reasoning or what we know to be true. And it's into this emotional state of being that God speaks these powerful words to the prophet Isaiah. He says, guys, come on, verse 29. Here's the deal, here's what I do. I give power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases what? Strength. Like this God is a God who gives power. He gives strength to those who are weak. Now I resonate with the way God is feeling at this point. I really do because, and if you're a dad or a parent, you you are too, especially dads. I don't know, I think this is a dad thing. It could be a mom thing too. But in our home, there's always situations where, you know, uh, our children need some sort of help or assistance. Sometimes it's with insight or or, or a decision. Sometimes it's some it's with something physical. And a lot of times, I just get overlooked. Just being honest with you, as the dad, it's like no one ever has to ask dad. Like they've come into a problem or a scenario, and they try to like nobody even says, "Hey, I wonder if dad can help." Anybody else feel that way? Just gonna kind of left. It's like. And what I want to say is, hey, have you not heard? Have you not seen what dad can do? Obviously, you have forgotten. Like, I'm right here. Like, I know the answer to that question. I know how to get out of that scenario. Been there before. I know how to, you know, do that thing. I can fix it. Nobody wants to ask dad. I feel that way all the time. The other day, my daughter took off my my wife's wedding band. And she's just messing around with it. And she put it on her finger. The only problem was her finger, uh, her knuckle was uh, thicker than Jackie's knuckle. So, you know, it's, you know, it's funny at first, but then it becomes a, a thing, an issue, right? This thing is stuck on your finger. And I'm, you know, I kind of walk in halfway through and I'm, when I walked in, it was kind of like, it was already an issue. So I'm like, you know, what's going on? Oh, I can't get the ring off. Okay, fine, you know, chill. They're struggling, Vaseline, peanut butter, whatever they had on her finger, trying to get it off. I don't even know what they had, oil, vegetable oil. Um, I said, hey, you know, I, I can help. My wife looks up, oh, dad's here. It's like, yeah, I'm standing right here. I can get the ring off your finger. My daughter looks over to me, she's like, not a chance. Not a chance. She would not even let me touch her finger. I'm like, have you not seen, have you not heard what I'm capable of? Nope. You know how the story ends? My wife took her to the jeweler to get the ring off. Yeah. Dad didn't even get a shot. I mean, I just, it's just stuff like that happens all the time in my house. I don't know how it works in your house, but like, I'm like a bump on the log. Like, I don't know anything. I'm incompetent. Um, I don't know how to do anything. Nobody even thinks to ask. It's okay. It's humbling for me. But this is how God is feeling. Like, God is feeling, like, do you not know who I am? Like, I can take you from Babylon and bring you back to Jerusalem. I I can protect you along that 500-mile journey. Like, whatever obstacles come up, whatever difficulties I am the God of the heavens and the earth. I created it all. Like, I could do anything. Why are you freaking out? I'm right here, God is saying, through the prophet Isaiah. I give strength to the powerless. For those who are weak, I lift them up. And and Isaiah even acknowledges that that we we, we do have times in our life where we struggle and get down. Look what he says in the next verse. He says, even youth youths or young people shall faint and be weary and young men, the strongest among us, the ones who go to the gym and lift all the weights, the ones are, even young men fall exhausted in this life at times. Like nobody's gonna be strong all the time, but this isn't supposed to be a permanent state. This is supposed to be temporary. We have some down times because life gets hard, but we're supposed to come up. We're supposed to be lifted up by God. I give strength to the powerless. We're not supposed to live decades defeated and discouraged. You know what God's plan is for you and I to go through this life? Here it is right here. God's plan for you and I is to soar. God created you to soar. 90% of the time, be soaring through life. Not because of our own strength, but because he's the God who gives strength to the powerless. Is this making sense? Look what he says in the next verse, verse 31. And this is where we're gonna find our principle. But they who wait upon the Lord, there's our word, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like, what? Eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint isaiah says you know what your life is supposed to be like it's supposed to be like this exchange where you give god your weakness and he gives you his strength and you soar like an eagle over your problems eagles are magnificent creatures their eyesight is eight times as powerful as a human being so that they can see their prey from very high distances their beaks and talons are razor sharp and they're so powerful that when they catch something like a little rabbit or something like that, they can just feed their chicks, tear it apart. Magnificent creatures. And when Isaiah says, you're gonna shore like an eagle on the winds, like his, his audience knew that because in those days there, was the, there were these massive eagles that would fly in that region. Here's a picture of one of them. That's what it looks like. Perfect flying. Machines, these things are. But they don't fly like other birds. Other birds flap their wings, and certainly eagles will flap their wings to get started. But once they get started, all they do is spread their wings. And what they do is they catch these these thermal columns that come up from the earth, these these warm columns of air that just kind of rise up from the earth. And they they soar, and they catch these thermal columns, and they just rise 10,000 feet, 11,000, 12,000, all the way up to 15,000 feet. And then they exit the column. And then what they do is they just spread their wings, and they soar down to the earth. 60 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour, 80, up to 100 miles an hour, they just soar. They never even flap their wings. Isaiah says, you were created to soar. These eagles in in, in that region had wingspans up to eight to nine feet. Now my wingspan is about six feet, six and a half feet. It's pretty big. An NBA basketball player, I don't know if you've ever been close to one, a seven footer, I've been close to a few. One time I gave Kevin Durant knuckles. It's pretty sweet. Didn't wash my hand for a while. That dude's seven feet tall. His wingspan is seven feet. It's amazing. But these eagles, some of them have a wingspan of up to nine feet. Let me show you how wide that is. This is absolutely fascinating. This PVC pipe is nine feet long. The largest eagles in that region, this is how far their wings Spread and they would just soar mile after mile, just catching the updraft. By the way, Goliath in the Bible is nine feet tall. Check this out. Is that crazy or what? This little side note, different story. Anyway, back to the eagles. <laughs> just soar. This is God's plan for your life. Just soar through life. I don't know about you, but I'd rather soar than live in defeat discouragement, depression. I I don't want anything to do with that. I'm not asking for a problem-free life. There is no such thing, right? There's no such thing as a problem-free life. God says, in the midst of your problems, in the midst of your difficulties, you and I can soar. How? Well, if you look back at the verse, in verse, verse 20, verse 29, but they that wait upon the Lord. There's the answer right there. But again, waiting in the Bible doesn't mean waiting in the doctor's office or waiting in traffic or waiting for, you know, in line at the grocery store. It doesn't mean that. Well, if it doesn't mean waiting in that sense, well, in what sense does it mean waiting? Well, here's what we mean. Biblically, to wait means to have a confident expectation in the Lord to have a confident expectation in the Lord, to believe with all of your heart that as you move forward on your 500-mile march, whatever that is, whether it's fighting cancer or you have a rebellious teenager or you're a teenager, you have difficult parents or getting divorced or whatever, whatever your your challenge is that's before you that looks impossible, like I don't have enough energy to do this, whatever that challenge is, here's what it looks like, waiting on the Lord. It means moving forward, facing that challenge with the confident expectation that as you deal with it, God's going to to help you and he's going to assist you and he's going to give you wisdom and he's going to give you the ability to overcome each challenge as it comes to you that's what it means and with that kind of confidence we can say okay let's go let's go let's move forward whatever it is whatever comes my way I will have the confident expectation that God will meet me, strengthen me, give me insight, give me wisdom, bring the right person into my life, the right book into my life, the right podcast into my life at just the right time to help me get through this situation. And that's what Isaiah is saying, come on guys. If you just wait upon the Lord, he will help you soar. You will make it back to Jerusalem. And when you get back to Jerusalem, he will rebuild your life, restore your way of being, rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple. Come on, let's go. And some of you are hearing that like, okay, that's exciting and that's motivational and I need to hear that, but, but I don't really have confident expectation in the Lord. Like it's been so long. It's been decades. It's been months. It's been... I've prayed and and my confident expectation has been chipped away. I just don't have it. How do I rebuild that confident expectation that God is gonna show up and help me? Three ways. Number one, and this is is not a sermon, okay? This is not something that I put together uh, to teach you something. This is a way of life for me. These are things that I do in my life to soar because I do not want to be discouraged or defeated. Number one, you gotta turn to the scriptures. You have to turn to the scriptures. The scriptures themselves are a source of incredible strength. This is how we catch the updraft. This is how we catch that current of wind. We spread our wings, we turn to the scriptures. When Joshua took over for Moses, he had a pretty important job to take the Israelites into the promised land. It was a daunting task, why? because the promised land was already inhabited. Do you remember? With lots of people, the Jezebites, the the Canaanites, the Hivites, all these different ites, ites everywhere, right? Some of them, the Bible says were giants. Some of them had cities that were fortified with walls. I mean, this was no no easy task. Plus Joshua's group of people had never fought a war. They didn't even own swords. The people in the promised land were battle tested, battle ready, battle experienced. And God's like, go and take the land. (laughs) Okay, he had reason to fear, did he not? And that's why in Joshua chapter one, verse nine, and some of you have this verse memorized. And and if you don't, I think you should. God tells Joshua, be strong, be very courageous. Do not be afraid because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Fantastic verse, Joshua one, nine. But what about the verse before that? Verse eight, let's look at it. Now remember the context. Joshua's about ready to go into the promised land. He's about ready to face these armies with a group of people that have never fought a war. Don't own a sword. Listen to what he says. This book of the law, Joshua, shall not depart out of your mouth. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Talk about it with your crew, your family, everyone there. Speak about it to your children every single day. You shall meditate in it day and night. Think about it constantly, mull it over in your mind all the time throughout the day. Why? So that you can do and be careful to do everything that's written in it. So that you can follow it and obey it. Joshua, when you obey it, when you think about it, when you talk about it, then watch what happens. Then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. In what way? What what, what kind of prosperity is is, is he talking about? Remember the context. He's not talking about getting wealthy or having big, large homes or or extra money or gold or silver. He's talking about taking the land. You wanna know how you're gonna defeat these people? It's not by building a great army and and building swords for yourselves and grading all these horses so you can defeat everybody. No, it's about following what I say, keeping my words in your mind and your heart, doing it and obeying it. The word of God is an incredible source of strength. It's how you catch the upcurrents. I love what Paul said in the book of Romans about the Old Testament. Some of you don't read the Old Testament. And because you don't read the Old Testament, you miss out on all of the instruction and the encouragement and the wisdom from the Old Testament. Listen to what Paul said about the Old Testament. For whatever was written in former days, long time ago, was written for our instruction that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the what? Scriptures, we might have hope. You could put the word strength in there. This book is an incredible source of strength. I cannot tell you how many times in moments of discouragement, in moments where I felt like I wanted to give up, I have turned to a passage, a promise, where God has spoken to me and lifted my spirit and I began to soar again. And some of you can testify to the same. Number one, if we want to catch the upcurrents, if we want to soar, if we want God's strength, we have to turn to the scriptures. Number two, we got to turn to the right people. I talk about this all the time. The presence of, an, of the right person, not any person, of the right person is an incredible source of strength. When King David, before he was king, when he was on the run, running away from King Saul, because King Saul was in this envious, jealous rage, and he wanted to kill David because he knew that David was going to replace him one day. David's on the run. Saul's got his entire army hunting him down like an animal. And most of the time, David was encouraged and he was fine because he knew the promises of God. But in a moment of discouragement, watch what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 23. Jonathan, who was the rightful heir, the son of Saul, who was supposed to be the next king, he went to find David, his friend, and what did he do? He encouraged him to stay what? Strong in his faith in God. Oh, the power of other people. I would not be here today without other people. You would not be where you are today without other people. How many times have have I had? How many times have you had in a moment of discouragement, another person come into your life and speak an encouraging word and lift your spirit? How many times has that happened? Countless times. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book life together. If you don't know who he is, he wrote a fantastic, challenging book called The Cost of Discipleship. It's a tough read, but worth your time. He was a pastor during the time where Hitler was trying to take over the world and he was, uh, he pastored a church in Germany. And uh, in fact, he was in part of a plot to kill Hitler that ultimately failed and he got caught and was sent to a concentration camp and ended up being killed in the concentration camp. But before all that went down, he wrote this other book called Life Together and he wasn't just a pastor. He mentored other, other uh, pastors who were wanting to enter the ministry. And um, he wrote this book for them. Listen to what he says in the first chapter here. This is so meaningful because of the context of with which he lived and the war and the murder and all this evil that was going on. He said the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. That's not just a statement he made. Like he, he's talking about real life, soaring through life. How do I find strength to make it through this difficulty when this crazy man's trying to take over the world? Another believer, the right person, is a source of incomparable joy. He says, the prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile, sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. The Christian in exile is comforted by a brief visit from a Christian brother, a prayer together, a brother's blessing. Indeed, he is strengthened by a letter written by the hand of another Christian. Today, we might say a text message from another Christian, an email from another Christian. The strength that we receive. I had a friend who I've been inviting to church for the better part of 10 years, maybe a little bit more. He won't come, but he lives in the community here and he knows who I am. And he just won't come to church. It's so odd. This week, you know what he did? I saw him, he said, hey, can we, can we grab breakfast? I'm like, I'm on a relentless pursuit, dude. I mean, yes, the answer's yes. So I met him for breakfast this week and we sat down. I had no idea what he wanted to talk about. You know what his first question was? Why should I come to church? You know what I wanted to say? Man, there's some fantastic sermons you're missing out on, dude. I mean, I just bring it every week and you are missing out. Yeah, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Uh, so, but here's what I did say. I said, here's what, here's what it is. Because he said some other things before he asked the question. He said, I feel lonely. I feel about like, I don't have anybody to talk to and all by myself. I said, well, you kind of answered the question before you even asked it. So the reason you asked me to come to breakfast is because you don't have any people in your life that are giving you encouragement and strength. And so that's the reason why you need to to be part of a local church. You don't even have to be part of ours, just be part of a local church so you have the right people, strengthening your spirit, strengthening your soul so that you can soar through the problems in your life. I don't think I persuaded him, but I gave him something to think about. Turn to the right people. They are a source of strength in your life. Let me give you this third one. Turn up the music, turn up the music. Some of you are like, it's too loud already in here. I don't
1: know.
0: (laughs) No, I'm not talking about our services. I'm talking about in your own time. You just think like music is so incredibly powerful. When Saul had that tormenting spirit, some of you know the story, he was just tormented by this, this evil spirit. The only thing that could help Saul was what? The music of who? Of David. And when David would play the harp that, that would ease his, his, and calm his, his spirit, the power of music. I was sitting in Starbucks the other day and, uh, and uh, all of a sudden they, the 90s summer music came on over the radio. Anybody, was anybody else there? Did you, I know not everybody goes to Starbucks. but and, and all of a sudden I was transported back to my high school years. It was Will Smith, the summertime song, like summer, summer, summertime. I can't sing, I can't sing. I know that, that's why I preach. And when I heard Will Smith go off on his little song, I mean, I could literally see my friends and I could, literally, I could almost feel it, what it was like to be a teenager again in 1990s because of all that music. And then one and after I couldn't even focus on what I was doing. <laughs> I was like, I lost track of it. It was just, it was unbelievable the power of music in our life. You know, worship, when we worship God, we talk about worship a lot or at least we try to, it doesn't always involve music. Like you can live, a like worship is a lifestyle, right? But when it's time to express how we want, how we feel about God, what do we turn to? Don't we turn to music? Listen to Psalm 104, verse 33. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. Like, it's almost like you can't help it. Like, God, I want to express to you how I feel. And it ends up turning into a song. I will praise you. I will praise you to my last Breath. The largest book in the Bible, this is interesting. The lar- I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. The longest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms, 150 chapters. It's right in the center of the Bible. You know what it's really a book of? What is it? It's a book of music. Did you know that every single one of the Psalms is a song? Could it be that God is sending us a message that, hey, I want you to sing. I want music to be a huge part of your life. In fact, the the largest book of the Bible is a book of music. Some of us are misusing music. We're listening to things that bring the soul down, especially our teenagers and our young people today. We're listening to people sing about horrible, awful things, and it's crushing our spirits. Music can bless us or it can curse us. What is God saying about music? He said, I want want you to use it and leverage it to lift your spirit, to lift your soul. Martin Luther, the one who started the Protestant Reformation said this, next to the word of God, which is a powerful statement, so there's the word of God and right next to it is the noble art of music and it is the greatest treasure In the world. Listen to what he says. My heart has often been solaced and refreshed by music when sick and weary. What we need to do, folks, is create playlists. I have playlists on my Spotify that I play on a regular basis that lift my soul. Music, it moves us. It is so powerful in our lives. We have to turn to the scriptures. We've got to turn to the right people, and we've got to turn up the music. You with me? This is how we wait upon the Lord. This is how we develop our confident expectation that he's going to be with us. This is how we soar on wings as eagles. Now, I think it'd be perfect today to close with some music. What do you think? Wouldn't that be awesome? And here's my hope, here's my, here's my hope right now. In fact, I, I just wanna ask God right now, all of our campuses, Garfield Park, Banta, Franklin, Greenwood, our microsites, everybody watching, even if you're watching online at home right now, I would love for you just to stand, just to stand it, just everybody just stand together. And, and we're gonna close with a worship song here. God, just go ahead and stand up. Yes, it's okay, you can do it. <laughs> and if you can't, you can just Sit. Let me pray for us and then, and then our, our band's gonna come out and they're gonna lead us in a song called Waiting Here For You. We, we chose it for this moment that the Holy Spirit would lift your spirit to help you to soar and strengthen you. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for being a God who is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Thank you that you're a God who, who's filled with joy And gives us that joy so that it can function as a a force field. God, thank you that your eyes search the earth looking for a man, looking for a woman who's fully committed so that you can give that person your strength. Father, thank you so much for the promise that if we would wait upon you, if we would build the confident expectation in our lives that as we move forward and face the difficulties, you will help us, give us insight, wisdom, physical strength, emotional strength to deal with life, that we can soar as eagles upon the wind. And right now in this moment, as we sing, as we listen to some music, as we engage, may your spirit lift our soul today. Help us to soar. We pray this in Jesus' name.
2: from the start. We adore your... seeing.
0: Philippians chapter four verse thirteen is a verse that many of us are familiar with. In fact, you can probably quote it with me. It says, "I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength." It's a powerful verse, and that's why so many disciples, so many followers of Jesus, have clung to it. Because in that verse, we we, we see this principle that, okay, I've got some human strength, I've got some power in myself, but it's limited and I run out and I get worn out and I feel like I don't have any any more energy or strength to move forward. But I can do all things through, say with me, Christ who gives me strength. It's, it's, It's almost like it's a confession that God, I need an outer source of strength to come into my life because I don't have what it takes. And it's true. In this series, we've been talking about how to receive divine strength, strength beyond ourself. Some of you here today have to understand that source of strength is Jesus Christ. You need him in your life if you are gonna have strength beyond yourself, strength from the kingdom, strength from God himself. I'm not talking about joining a religion. I'm not talking about joining this church. I'm talking about having Christ come into your life and fill you with joy and fill you with peace and fill you with strength, his strength. You need a relationship with him. Good thing for you and good thing for all of us is that Christ did what it took so that we can have a relationship with him. He laid down his life. He died for our sins 2,000 years ago. He stretched out his arms. He allowed himself to be crucified, to pay the sins of the world, pay for your sins, to cancel the debt. And he says to you today, will you trust me? And if you do, I will fill your life with joy and I will fill your life with peace. And yes, I will give you divine strength. Will you trust him today? This is your moment. God is speaking to you. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. If you feel drawn into this moment right now, reach out to Christ in faith and trust him and become one of his kids. I'll say say a prayer. You take these words and make them your own. Just say this to him. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you paid the penalty to wash away all my sin, all my guilt, all my shame. So right now, I place my confidence, my trust, my faith, in you. Be my savior today. Fill me with your joy right now. I open up my heart. Fill me with peace. And fill me with your divine strength. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Can we give God glory guys for what he's doing? Amen. If you trusted Christ today, whatever campus you're at, microsite, if you're watching online, we wanna put a brand new copy of the New Testament in your hands. It's a new believer's Bible. Whatever campus you're at, they're in the back right there. Here's why we wanna do that. As I said in my sermon today, It's really simple. The the scriptures are a source of strength. This is how we soar in our life. So grab one of these on the way out, wherever you're at uh, in the back of the auditorium. Will you pray with me and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this incredible passage. That those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Help us to have enough wisdom to get into the scriptures, to turn to the right people and to leverage the power of music to help us soar in this life. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. See you next week. Bring a friend.